Would you turn me to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24, the very last chapter. By the way, I don't know why, but the best I could tell, I want to, uh, every now and then I, just, I take an opportunity to ask if there's a question. And my promise to you is if you have a question, whatever I don't know, I make up. So as long as we understand that's the deal, sometimes people have had questions about healing or the Bible or demons, whatever it is, and they don't get a chance to ask them. And uh, if you have a question, uh, before we just look briefly in Luke chapter 24, uh, uh, let me take a moment and, and give you a chance. So you, you, you have a question? Oh, I, you know, that wasn't specific. Nobody has a question. Yes, Matt. Okay, I, I will repeat the question. So Matt asked, if we're casting out a demon, he said we're doing deliverance, helping someone to be, get set free, uh, do we tell the demon to go to the arid or the dry places as Jesus mentions that they might do in one time, yeah? Or do we send them to hell or whatever? So uh, I made it my business about 1996 or seven as I was getting into deliverance to read everything I could on deliverance as only a someone who was very in my head would do, but I was very in my head and I was very afraid of being misled. Uh, I had more faith in the devil back then than I did in God, I think, looking back. But nonetheless, so I read everything from the Puritans to Catholics to Baptists to Pentecostals. I read everybody. And I decided what I was going to do is I was going to find what are those things that everybody agreed upon, and I was going to focus on those things. And then on the things that, I, that they disagreed on, I would, I, looking back now, I would say, well, some people, I think just their anointing's different, whatever, whatever. And then people just have different opinions. But it's amazing how much everyone agrees on some, some, some things in deliverance and some things um, at which people disagree. This is one of those things at which people disagree. Um, and so there is a disagreement about what to do with them. The solution in my own personal thoughts, and, and since the Bible does not say, the Bible, the Bible does not say to send them to the air place, although Jesus mentions as he's describing the strong man uh, he says that the, the spears go to the air places and they come back looking. I mean, Jesus mentioned, but he doesn't say that has to be how it is. And, and it, it, he doesn't necessarily send them there. But anyway, so there is disagreement. But, but I, I want to say, Francis, not, but I'm not positive, but I, I want to say in one of the early people I read, they said on this problem, and, I, and, and uh, they said, look, send them to Jesus and let him sort them out. Because you, you know, I'd hate to send them to some desert and someone walk on some desert and, and uh, run into them. I mean, I'm kind of teasing and I'm not, but I mean, meaning because we don't know, uh, the, the, one of the books, and again, I'm not positive, I want to say it was McNutt, but it was maybe someone else, but whoever it was said, we're not sure, better than doing it wrong, if we send it to Jesus, he knows exactly what to do. So when I cast out a spirit, I send it to Jesus with the full assurance that he does know where to sort them out. So I would suggest that, but I don't think anyone can say that someone else is necessarily wrong, uh, but I think that, for me at least, the kind of my personality is, I, I would rather, to me that made me feel peaceful. I'm not doing the wrong thing at least. Uh, if I send it to Jesus, he, he certainly knows what to do, and so that's my approach. 
so that's my opinion, you know. But it, there is no Bible verse, so, you know. But it'd be hard to say that's a wrong one either. I mean, that's a pretty, to me, I didn't come up with it, but I think that's a pretty wise move. Uh, and I've, that's what I've done uniformly. I really, and I have not heard in the last 20 years many people sending them to any place but Jesus. I don't know why. There seem to be a lot more people doing different things. I, that, who, whoever came up with it or whatever, I think that view has taken, uh, it's become a majority opinion in the sense that if you go to most things now, you kind of hear that sort of approach. I don't know what happened. I guess people kind of decided that's a good approach. But either it was McNutt or it could have been... Um, Neil Anderson or different ones, maybe a lot of them. But anyway, that's, I think that's the safe bet. Uh, so there's the first one. Any other questions? If you have questions, there's a good, I, I, I won't make it up. I will tell you if I just don't. There's lots of things I don't know. But if there is a question, I would be glad to try to answer it. Very excitable group here. All right. Luke 24. I'm going to try just stick to one verse. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to just try to look at one verse. Let's look at verse 49. I'm in tired. I told Susan, I said, I'm not even going to talk tonight. I said, after Ash Wednesday, uh, last night, it, last day was, for me, very powerful. The Holy Spirit is really inviting me deeper into him. And I wanted just to remind you, we have people here who aren't from an Anglican or Catholic tradition, and I want to remind you about the church year and the seasons of the year. Um, of course, Tuesday night, we have Shrove Tuesday, and we're going in a preparation. The idea is that every year we get to freshly in new ways to experience what we already know. We know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but of course we want to go from glory to glory. We want to learn more and more about Jesus and learn to follow him more and more faithfully. And so the church year was organized uh, really in the Old Testament. The early Christians uh, took the, the Jewish calendar and then uh, put the fulfillment of Jesus in the sense to new feasts and new markers based upon Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, and, and so uh, there is this anticipation of feasting uh, at the time of Easter, the Feast of the Resurrection, even as there is a time of great reflection of Jesus' sacrifice for, on the cross for us on uh, Good Friday. So it, it was a tradition of the early church to fast for 40 days uh, in preparation. And that came in various forms of uh, not eating physical uh, food. Today, people fast of TV, and I've had people do uh, technology fast, and if you can get away with that, that's fantastic. Uh, I mean, there's all kind of ways to fast. I, I will say in the Bible, the biblical fast, not to take away from, in our world, the benefit of many other kinds. You know, uh, Pope Francis had a beautiful thing I saw posted on Facebook about fasting from critical words, and, all, and it was like a list of 15 things. I'm thinking every one of those would be a First of all, they're biblical things to do. So it was a, I mean, in terms of what not to do versus what to do and, and to be careful. And it was really helpful. Uh, but I want you to know primarily in the Bible, when we talk about fasting, we're talking about the fasting of physical food at some point. Some people, you know, the Wesleyan tradition, of course, uh, Wesley did not believe in celebrating Lent. Uh, I like Wesley a lot, but I think he was an heir here. He was in the time, of course, when the Anglican church was very dead. He was a revivalist. And he saw people putting on ashes on Ash Wednesday who weren't serious about Jesus. And so he was sort of put off with all that, to be frank. But his, his practice year-round was, and all of his circuit riders and people that followed him had to fast up to lunch, like up to 1 or 2 o'clock, every Wednesday and Friday year-round. Right? And that kind of practice is often done by people in... Um, uh, Lent, that they might fast uh, all day Wednesday, or they might up to Lent, up, up to two or something on Wednesday and Friday, or, or they might, you know, it's common for people to give up sweets or give up coffee, 
Um, some people, it makes them too angry. So I asked Susie not to do that. Uh, sorry, she's back there. I'm kidding her. Um, I'm probably more crazy about that. But anyway, so, but the idea is, that the, first of all, so Shrove Tuesday is the pancake supper we had. And the idea of Shrove Tuesday is to go into Lent remembering grace always precedes us. We would never presume that we were going to fast or do something that in some way was going to earn us something with God. But we want to remember that grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Okay, we must, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, meaning we give, God deserves nothing less than our best and all the effort we can give. It's just not an effort that comes from motivation of trying to earn anything. Okay, so... So Shrove Tuesday is God's grace. We're saved, we're born again, the Lord loves us, he's forgiven us, but we want, and so it's being undergirded with his grace that we can take 40 days of fasting and ask the Lord to strip everything away and to help us that we could get as empty as possible. And the idea is, if we could get empty, he would fill us. So this is, there's no greater grace than to be empty because he will fill us if we'll get empty. So we, on our part, we do something silly like, oh, I'm not going to eat bread and Lent or whatever. I'm going to give up carbohydrate, whatever it is you're doing. And by the way, it's bad form to ask other people what they're doing. Because though there's a time on Ash Wednesday for public, remember the solemn assemblies were when the whole people of God, as the family of God came together on critical times and places, and they would put on the ashes and the sackcloth because there is a time to repent as a corporate people, as a family, as a nation. And that's what Ash Wednesday is. But the reading, and so it's Joel 2 is the Old Testament reading. If you were here last night, you know. And then the New Testament reading is Matthew, where Jesus says, don't let your fasting be about disfiguring your faces with things like ashes. Of course, he's talking about private fasting. He's not saying that there's never a time when a nation or the Jews didn't come together. They did, and the God commanded them to do so. In fact, Joel commands that there are times that we should come together and call a sacred assembly. That's what Ash Wednesday is. But for the rest of Lent, of course... It is a time for personal and private fasting and seeking of the Lord. And that, of course, is not to be public or say, oh, I mean, now, I'm not saying if Lisa asked me, I could say, well, I gave up coffee. I mean, but it's bad form. And it, meaning we don't, you don't want to be bugging your wife or your husband or, you know, you don't want to be kind of like judging people by what they do. Or it's none of our business. All right. We want to keep our stuff between us and God. Not that we can't with friends in the right spirit say something, but it's bad form. I say that because I was raised Baptist and I kind of, I didn't know what, you know, what, what do you do? What do you, you know? And uh, uh, one year, John Carl now is 21, uh, as some of you know him. And, and, uh, but when he was about seven, my parents were here and they were very nervous. I mean, I, they knew I was an Anglican priest. They'd come to my ordinations. They were here when I became a bishop. Uh, this time I was just a priest. I was not a bishop yet. But, but uh, John Carl was sitting in the very back uh, over there, kind of where Denise, but maybe my parents were there, and they were nervous. I mean, to be in the church Ash Wednesday, I mean, to them as Baptists, I mean, this was like, they were afraid they're going to melt. I don't know what they, I think they thought we we're going to have them like stand up and publicly confess their sins or something because they were really nervous. And uh, my father, he, uh, he whispers, he tells me later, he whispered over to John Carl and says, John Carl, what are you giving up for Lent? Now, John Carl was seven. He said, cigarettes. <laughs> so he must have heard someone say cigarettes. He never smoked cigarettes. So uh, anyway, try to give up something that might matter. It's the point. Yeah, you know, you want to give up something. Uh, but in any case, and I'm not messing with smokers tonight. Remember, everything that isn't smart isn't a sin. Remember that. Okay. So here we go. Now, Grace always proceeds, then Ash Wednesday is corporate. Now we're moving in to Lent. But Lent 
should not have a dour, down in the mouth sort of thing. Lent is a time of anticipation because we know what happens. We know Jesus down the cross. We're asking to know in a new and a fresh way the power of the cross and the victory and power of the resurrection. Okay, so the fact that we can learn each year deeper and understand, and remember, for 10,000 years, the Bible says, and as the, the, the song sings, the Gaithers or someone else wrote back in the 70s, 10,000 years will just be started. We will learn for all eternity the wonders of the cross and the resurrection. These are things of which are so profound that we can go deeper and deeper and we'll never find their end. So this is a, this is a scheduled dating season with Jesus to seek him and to focus upon him that God by his spirit might reveal to us an increased understanding of our need See, this is the way the soul is transformed and sanctified. The way we grow is in the recognition of our need. So we pray, I read a quote from Andrew Murray today, it was on Facebook. If you follow Andrew Murray, uh, you saw it. If you don't, you ought to, I say you ought. I think Andrew Murray is like the best. Uh, Andrew Murray says, he says, uh, when you pray, you talk to God. When you read God's word, he talks to you. So this is a season of especially assigned time where we stop doing some things to more than ever before in a special way to have organized specific decidedly focused times where we talk to god and god talks to us and i would suggest that we talk to god god talks to us and then in response we talk to god again i mean after he talked and it's in sync what god designed was when we see who he is in his word and we see what we're not that gives the opportunity to believe God for what he promises. Meaning, we see this is what could be. This is what has been provided in Christ. And if we see that we're not, that gives us a chance of humility, also a chance to believe what he promises could be in faith, to then receive his power to change us. Okay, so it's, it takes the stripping away and the emptiness to make room for him, but also to recognize and to get a hunger and a thirst for the things that he would do to fill us. All right, and so this is what this season's about. So to me, Lent, though I don't like last night, you know, I, uh, I, I, I like to sneak a little orange or lime sherbet before I go to bed, I'll be honest with you. And I bought two instead of one, and so I finished off one, and I can't tell you, this is only, this is asked for a powerful Ash Wednesday service, I can't tell you how hard it was for me not to go and to get a little of that orange sherbet last night. It wasn't easy. I felt like I was Superman for resisting. And I'm thinking it's going to be a long Lent. <laughs> a long Lent. If the first night after meeting the Lord so beautifully on Ash Wednesday, it was already so hard. But with every, see, what fasting does and what this season does, every time you make a decision of the will, know to something, whether it's bad or good, for something greater in Christ, God pours out his grace upon you. It's like he just loves it when we find any sort of way. Again, not to earn anything, but when we have a choice to say no, even to the good things, because as the old quote says, what the good is the enemy of the best. So we can say no to good and healthy, because we want more of Jesus. And we look around us in our families, our marriages, our children, our, our cities, our churches, and, and we say, man, we really, we really, really need more of Jesus. If we're going to be holy people, if we're going to resist temptation, if we're going to make it in this life, we really need God. We really need God. So in verse 49 of, that's all introduction, but I'm going to try to be short. <laughs> you don't believe me because I lie all the time. But anyway, here we go. 49 and, uh, excuse me, 49, behold, I'm reading New King James. 
I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from an eye. I don't know about you, but I've, I've thought sometimes, wouldn't it be something if I could have been in the upper room with the 70 or however many were there, 120 in the upper room? And I think about it, I think 10 days. If I was waiting for something, and after about 24 hours, I might have been kind of ADD. I want to go walk around the block. I'm thinking, I might have missed it. 10 days, to wait for 10 days. But Jesus said, you have now in the resurrected Christ, he breathes them, so receive the Holy Spirit, John 20, 21. They had salvation. They, they had the, the power of the cross. They had encountered with the risen Christ, but they had not yet experienced until Jesus ascended, the Spirit had not descended in a way to live within them, to empower them to be witnesses. And there's two key things that happen to be a witness. First, you have to be in the accident. You had to be in it. You had to be in the corner. You got you to be there. And, and so what the power of the Holy Spirit does, it gives us the power to be holy, and it gives us the power to be effective. Those are the two things that the Holy Spirit brings to our lives. Before the Pentecostal movement and the, you know, the, the historic tradition of kind of proto or early Pentecostalism, in those traditions, they were holiness traditions. So they didn't call themselves Pentecostal, they called them holiness because in the old days they knew that when people would tarry, when they would wait and pray and seek God, they would do it and they'd call a revival. They'd call a psalm assembly. They'd bring in a special anointed preacher in the old days and they'd have camp meetings. They were having mini Lents. That's what they were doing. And when people came to get saved, they'd say, no, you're not ready yet. The conviction of the Holy Spirit's not enough. And they would make them sit on the front benches until the power of the Holy Spirit would build over a week of services. And then the Holy Spirit would have them so powerfully convicted of sin that when then, then they would let them receive the grace. Can you imagine, though, today if you said, Pastor, I really want to get saved. And I said, no, you've got to wait some more. That's what they did. Can you imagine the anointing on them to tell people, no, not yet, because we don't want you to make a premature, immature decision. We want the Holy Spirit, because it's the grace of the Spirit that convicts us of sin. And it's like, you, have, you don't hate the sin yet. Not, they weren't giving them a hard time. They just knew that the Holy Spirit would bake them some more so that they wouldn't be half-baked. You know, they, they, they would really get it. And then when those people encountered the Holy Spirit in their salvation, and with the coming of the Spirit at their salvation... They lived holy lives. They were free. Their addictions. People were addicted to sex and to drugs. All kind. I mean, remember cocaine up to the Civil War, after maybe the 1880s, was legal. It was in Coca-Cola. After the Civil War, there was 50 to 60,000 people. I think Cincinnati pre-Civil War only hold eight or 10,000 people. After the Civil War, there was 50 to 60,000 people living on the streets addicted to cocaine. When the Second Great Awakening through the 1830s started at Cambridge, Kentucky, and then went over for a century, when it moved in that part of the world, in two or three years, they couldn't find someone who was addicted to cocaine. This is what Jesus is talking about. There's something that's worth waiting for to say, I am not moving on. I am not getting busy in any church, any church business I ain't got to make it the priority and the full agenda of my life to pursue Jesus in the fullest possible way and to wait until he gives me what he has promised. Because he has promised me something, and this is not that. Today, we have so many people in church who are willing to settle for so little. What he has promised is the power of the Spirit. They could take a guy who would lie in a second like Peter 
like all of us probably would have if we were put after the crucifixion, to someone who was so, so bold, he was ready to die for Jesus a multiple he, he was a transformed person. Why? Because the Holy Spirit came upon him. He was just a regular guy getting well. He wasn't looking for trouble. Didn't want to get beat up like a, for, by a mob. Who would? So Peter denies Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit came upon him, but they understood that Jesus had a command, that yes, they were saved, but there was a command for something more. Now, sometimes I have prayed for people in India, other places, where the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them, it seemed almost as immediate as their salvation. Some people, it seems it happens right at the beginning. I believe, by the way, when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. It's like what Tozer and some of the others said. It's not if you have the Holy Spirit, it's if the Holy Spirit has you. Some people, the Holy Spirit gets them at the first day. I accepted Christ when I was five years old in First Baptist Church, Jacksonville, Florida. I had Jesus, but the Holy Spirit didn't have me, not in the way that he has come to come upon me. Uh, nothing like that. Jesus is giving us an invitation. We can't be there from back then. We missed the upper room experience, but the same experience with the Spirit we can have. The question is, if you have the faith and the belief to believe that what God has promised for them He's also promised for you. And I want to ask you a question. Jesus told the disciples to teach all nations everything which he commanded them. Everything. Cast out demons, heal the sick, heal the leper. He says, you teach the disciples to obey everything I commanded you. Let me ask you, if the disciples or the apostles could not do and, and do the things that Jesus told them to do without the Holy Spirit, do you think he expects you to do the same things that you're supposed to be taught to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's ludicrous. Jesus did them because he was trained to the Holy Spirit perfectly. His disciples and who became apostles, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, which is why they could do the works of Jesus. The apostles laid hands on the deacons and they were full of the Holy Spirit and they did miracles and they did the things. And then the whole church received and whole groups of people received the power of the Holy Spirit and experienced him and then did the works of of Jesus and the powerful. They became transformed people who were holy and they were people who could do the works of Jesus. Today, we have been willing sort of to get you into heaven. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, what a, that's better than letting you go to hell. But let me tell you something. Jesus has far bigger value he places upon you. And he has far greater things for you than simply to, to bide your time, to be miserable, uh, to not enjoy the world anymore, uh, to kind of be in the world, and, but not enjoy it, and, and, and then die and, and hope that you get in type of thing. That is, let me tell you something. Jesus has a glorious plan for your life, and that isn't it. Jesus' glorious plan for your life is that you get all of Jesus and the Spirit gets all of you. And the disciples who had encountered him for three years, they had to tarry, they had to wait. It's not just a waiting, like, Ooh, doo, 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 we're waiting. No, no, it is a dedicated waiting that they were seeking earnestly. That anything that's in the way, anything that it, whatever had to happen, Lord, in those 10 days, that it would happen, that there'd be a space that the Spirit could have them. So my commitment for this Lent, I, I ordered Andrew Murray's books. I, I recommend his, uh, I think it's what... Uh, is it living or no, experiencing the Holy Spirit? One of the very best books. You can buy it for like six bucks on Amazon. It'll be delivered for probably less than seven dollars. 
divine healing, his book on divine healing, the theology of the cross for healing and the power of the spirit, it's all about the cross. It's, well, incarnation and cross. I mean, unbelievable book. I threw in another, I, I, I have his book on humility and submission, so I was like, okay, in Lent, I'm gonna let my discipler, Andrew Murray, have another crack at me. I mean, it's just beautiful. I, we, we need mentors to help us, and I'll tell you something. I read him, and it's just, uh, it's like having Pastor Andrew Murray, who died in 1910 or something, uh, sitting there helping me grow in Christ, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. So I want to invite you to a holy Lent, which is great optimism with great faith for all the things the Spirit would do in your life. But I would suggest to you that you follow the model that Jesus gave his apostles and accept nothing less. You can't do the things he called you to do with the less, anything less than the same power that he endued upon them by his Spirit. Behold, I send the promise of my Father, which is the Holy Spirit. When the promise of the Father goes back to Ezekiel, Jeremiah, where he says he will give us a new heart. Meaning the heart that can't obey, can't do anything, we can't get anything right. He says, but when my spirit comes upon you, the promise of my Father is a day will come and I will give you a new heart. And my words will be not just in your mind, they'll be in your heart and your lips and you'll be holy people and you'll be free and you'll be powerful. All these promises, that's the promise of the Father. He's quoting uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, uh, and these promises that one day on the day of the Lord, that the Father was going to do something so profound that people who could not be the people that God wanted to be could all of a sudden could be those people. They, they, we, we didn't get in Ezekiel that it's going to take a, 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 an incarnation and a cross and a resurrection and then a Pentecost. But we know. We know the mechanisms. We get to look back at the whole scope. But what a shame that we know all the story, but we don't have the same hunger. We need the same hunger. If all that happens is by Good Friday, you finally break through a type of apathy that's set upon us in the church in this age. That we just finally get to a point that's so miserable, say, Jesus, I cannot live without the spirit you promised to give me in power. I, I have a spirit for salvation, I know that. But, but I can't go on without the power to be endued from the power from on high, to be the man, the husband, whatever else callings we have, the woman, the wife, whatever it is God has, I cannot go on because we're so empty. Our God will fill us. He promises to. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem, in the center of worship of the earth. Well, we get to worship him here uh, in Keystone, and Melrose, and Gainesville, and all kind of places. But don't move out. Don't, you want to burn out? Try to do the works of Jesus without the spirit that Jesus was yielded to and empowered by. The sad thing is, if you took away, what they say, they say, I don't know who said it, but it's true. If you took away the power of the Holy Spirit from most churches on any given Sunday, nothing would change. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, anointed, the overflow with the power from on high, the power of the Holy Spirit who makes us holy and enables us to do 
the works of Jesus. Now, Luke goes on. He writes in Luke, and then he starts in Acts chapter 1. And Luke, Acts chapter 1, we hear it a little different way. That's, you know, Luke is part 1, Acts is part 2. But oh boy, what a, what a holy Lent God has put before us. What possibilities if we would not cave in. Not, you, you may break your fast. You, you know, if you mess up your fast, you say, Lord, I'm sorry, and you keep moving. Don't get all hung up in that. But what a great invitation there is because the God that we serve is so good to us that in the tiniest ways where we determine to choose him against something else, he rewards us with the greatest thing, which is himself. Lord Jesus, would you bless us tonight? Would you give us, uh, at the beginning of this season, would you pour out your spirit to enable us? Lord, we need even a grace to fast, a grace to be empty, a grace to, to, to focus, a grace to be earnest, a, a grace to come out of our passivity, uh, Lord, a grace to believe. We, we need all, we need so much grace. And Lord, I pray tonight more than anything that you would meet us here and visit us with yourself. That these days, though they may be filled with fasting, they would be filled with joy and anticipation, like we used to long for Christmas. And then, Lord, as you give us the grace to be empty, oh, we just can't wait. Bake us as long as we need in that place. Give us such a grace to be discontent with anything less than Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the wonderful name of Jesus who keeps his promises. And we bless, Lord, your people tonight in Jesus' name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.